0: You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. So, if uh, I was here last year during the holiday season, and if you heard me preach, you would know that I'm kind of a Scrooge when it comes to uh, Christmas songs. And <laughs> Mary, did you know it's at the top of my list of Christmas songs that I think are weird. So I think you just gotta read the scripture and you can see that Mary knew. Um, but with that being said, they, they did a really good job. Um, I actually have another song this year that I wanted to add to my list and it's uh, Baby, It's Cold Outside. <laughs> Anybody like that song? So it starts out, I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I got to go away. Baby, it's cold out there. These two people are on a date. And she wants to go home, because it's time to go home, right? When you're not married, all dates have to end, and you have to go to your own houses and sleep in your own beds. Right. Amen. All you kids in here. And she's trying to do that, and he's like, no, no. No, girl, it's all right. Just take your shoes off. I'm going to put on the notebook and play some Barry White. Tell Alexa to dim the lights. She's like, I got to call my mom. She's going to worry. I can't listen to that song without thinking that... This guy is a creeper anymore. Anyway, let's, let's sing another song. You guys want to sing a song? Will you guys sing a song with me? I promise you all know it. Okay? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. You probably don't know this verse. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. There, did you guys know that verse? A lot of people don't know that verse. It's in the song. It's like, that song has like seven verses or something like that. It's way down towards the end. But if you don't like it, devil, you can sit on a tack. Because I got joy in my heart. Talking about joy. Uh, more specifically, the joy of knowing Christ. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I might rip off a band-aid that's covering a wound for some of you. Um, But you guys remember when the Dodgers lost the World Series? You guys remember that? (laughs) The World Series was so exciting. And it took me on a roller coaster ride of emotions, right? At points, I was super happy. At other points, I was very sad. And sports does that to me in general. I'm a Packers fan so it's been a year of sadness for me but I remember throughout the years when something amazing happens I'd like jump up on the ottoman and I'm like yelling and we live in an apartment complex so in the playoffs last year I'm like yelling and screaming and when it, when I stopped I heard somebody yell at me shut up I was like Shh. probably a Raiders fan anyway somebody thought that was really funny um Took me on a, a, a roller coaster ride. And, and for me, sometimes I can let uh, uh, sports ruin my day. I can let a game ruin my day. But one of the big stories coming into uh, the World Series was that Houston deserved to win because of the tragedy that they had experienced with the hurricane. And I started thinking about that and I'm like, maybe this makes me a jerk, but that doesn't make them deserve to win the World Series. Right? And then, they started telling stories of how there were fans that since this tragedy had happened, the only joy that they had found in life in a couple of months was watching the Astros win a baseball game. And if the Astros didn't win, they didn't experience joy. So they were hanging their joy in general on the fact that the Astros needed to win the World Series for them to be truly, for these fans to be truly happy. And I was thinking, I'm like, that's, That's so sad. If your source of joy is connected to sports, connected to another person, connected to a relationship, like that's that's pretty sad. But I I started to realize like we will go to great lengths to experience joy. So I went to my number one theological resource, Google, and I Googled how to find joy. And you can find WikiHow, 13 Ways to Find Joy, with pictures. And there's a picture of this girl, like, standing outside, like this. Like, the hills are alive. She's standing outside. And it says, if you want to have joy, go out into nature. Do that. Go to downtown L.A. and stand outside. (coughs) (laughs) There was another one that was 40 things, 40 that you can do today to find joy. I don't have time to do 40 extra things in my day with the purpose of trying to find joy in my life. Nope, that didn't work. Nope, that didn't work. What happens when I get to the end of the list and I'm still sad? The problem is a lot of the ways that we try to find joy in life are dependent on something else. And I started to think that a lot of our joy is, is vicarious joy. We experience joy through the achievements of another person. We experience joy when our favorite team wins. We experience joy when we follow somebody else's list and follow somebody else's rules. This is how you find joy in your life. Do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be happy. We find joy when our kids do something uh, have an achievement, have an accomplishment. We, we find joy when, when something else happens and we experience it through somebody else's circumstances or we experience it through somebody else's list of things and list of demands that we try to meet. And can that work? Yeah, it can work. It can work in the moment. It can work for that specific day, that specific hour, that specific time. But it's not something that's sustainable. So our, our big theological point this morning is knowing Christ is the only source of sustainable joy. The only source of a joy that is sustainable. And Paul is writing this letter toward the end of his life. He's going to die soon. He's writing this letter to the Philippians, and he's telling them to have joy. When you think about it, it's a really amazing thing. Because a lot of us, we can associate with the joy of knowing Christ when we get saved. When we give our life to Jesus, we have this joy. But as we start to live and walk with Jesus, it sometimes can become just habit, and we lose that feeling of joy. But Paul here is writing about this joy that's sustainable, and somehow Paul has this joy at the beginning of his life with Jesus, and now at the end of his life with Jesus, he has just as much, if not more, joy in his life. And there's like bookends of joy and everything else is his process of of knowing Christ. He doesn't lose that feeling of joy. He hasn't lost that love and feeling. Most of us, we don't sustain that joy throughout our life, throughout our walk with Christ, throughout every circumstance. So what I want to look at this morning is how Paul, what Paul does in order to sustain his joy. This is what Paul does In order to sustain his joy. Let's read it from Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is of no, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh." Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider the loss for the sake of Christ. Whoops. to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we can come into your presence this morning and we can worship you freely and we can get into your word and hear you speak to us. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to every one of us in this room. Help me to speak and preach the message that you want me to. And uh, just penetrate our hearts and help us to really find real joy. Uh, not just for the season, but for the rest of our time here. And pray it and believe that you're going to do something great. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul, Paul sees joy as fundamental. He's able to sustain it because he sees it as a fundamental thing. Um, he, he sees a joy that's not connected To circumstances that's not connected to a person, that's not connected to anything, but is anchored in the simple fact of who God is. That God is God, and I can find joy in Him. He sees it as something that's fundamental and doesn't have to be manufactured. And He's been reminding the Philippians throughout this letter to rejoice, to find their joy in the Lord, right? Um, And He does it again and again and again and again. And it's good. It was good for them, he says it, but it's good for us to, to sometimes go back to those fundamental things of what it means to be a Christ follower. Other than Pastor Ken, any UCLA fans? Oh, dang. No, not even your kids? Wow. <laughs> any USC fans? How many of you don't care? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> he's, gonna, he's writing his resignation letter right now. Um, legendary UCLA basketball coach, John Wooden, every basketball season would get his players before their, right before their first practice of the year, and they would go through fundamentals. Not fundamentals of dribbling the ball or shooting or anything. He would get all of his players together and tell them all to take off their shoes and socks. And then he would spend that first practice teaching the players how to put their socks on how to make sure that it's pulled all the way up, that the seams are in the right place, that the heel is positioned correctly. Um, And then he would have them put one shoe on and he would have them lace the shoe and show them the importance of tying it from the bottom and pulling everything tight and how to make a real knot and, and what the importance of putting on your socks correctly and tying your shoes correctly. And some players their first year thought it was really dumb and they didn't want to do it, but he made Every single year that he coached, this is the first thing that he ever did with his team. And he told them it's to prevent them from getting blisters. It's to keep them safe, keep their feet, like a lot of the other injuries that they might experience are kind of, might not be preventable, but he's saying you can prevent the blisters from forming if you know how to put your shoes and socks on, socks and shoes on correctly. And one player like, 20 years later was joking about it and he goes, I didn't always agree with what he did but I never got a blister. And I thought that was really cool because we need to get back to the fundamental of joy and having joy in the Lord, knowing Christ and finding joy simply in knowing Him will prevent a lot of those abrasive things from wounding us and will prevent you know blisters forming on our heart if you want to take it that way. We'll stop you from from Getting injured in a lot of instances because you know where your joy comes from. You know that you can always rejoice in the Lord because of who He is. Do you remember when you committed your life to Jesus? Do you remember the day? Do you remember the time? Do you remember where you were? How many of you, let me just ask a question how many of you have been saved more than 30 years? You've been following Jesus more than 30 years. That's awesome. Do you remember when you first gave your life to Jesus? That is amazing. That is amazing. Do you remember like the joy that you felt? I remember feeling so much joy and like being flooded with the love of Christ when I gave him my life. Do you remember what it was like when you first started walking with Jesus before you like really got plugged into a church? You remember what it was like when when you were following Jesus before somebody came and said, this is how you're supposed to act. This is what you're supposed to say. This is how you're supposed to dress. This is the music you're supposed to listen to. And people started giving you things you know and all those things are not bad i understand the heart behind it but a lot of times we 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 jump the gun with people and we get they get saved and then we just give them this, this rule book of here's the things you need to do and don't do and listen to and not listen to and and we teach them christianese right you're you're in the process of sanctification brother leading you towards glorification someday when you come into the presence of jesus and we need to teach you hermeneutics and how to properly exegete the scriptures so that you can uh, exfoliate your soul exfoliate is not a christian term but it fits it fits (laughs) in chapter two of revelation god is speaking to the church in ephesus And kind of to paraphrase, he tells them, I've seen all the good things that you've done. I've seen all of the hardships that you've had to endure. But he says, you've lost your first love. You've forgotten your first love. I've seen a lot of people in church that become so overzealous for the Lord that they forget the reason why they had the zeal in the first place. The zeal is connected to a building. The zeal is connected to a principle or a thought process that they think needs to happen in order for people to be neat little followers of Jesus. And we forget the reason that the point we have this zeal in the first place is because of this overwhelming love that we have for Christ and this overwhelming love that Christ has for us and the joy of simply being with him. The process of discipleship is important, but it's not as important as the purpose of discipleship. Our, our purpose is to become more like Christ. That is essential. That's necessary. But if we forget the joy of being with him, if we forget the joy of being lost in his love, if we forget the joy of simply being with Christ, then the purpose can become Meaningless because it's just a means to an end. There's just, there's nothing at the end of it other than I get this certificate that says I finished a program. We have to remember the purpose is for us to be Christ-like, not to be church-like, not to be Mike-like, but to be Christ-like. So in light of this, um, Paul sees joy as fundamental, but in light of these things, Paul recognizes uh, distractions. And he sees two primary forms of distractions here. Sorry, let me put that up for you. He sees two primary forms of distractions here. He sees external distractions, and he sees uh, internal distractions. And he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And Paul's talking about uh, Jewish Christians, who are adding extra requirements to the salvation process. And he's saying, stop paying attention to all of those distractions that stop you from sorry. Sorry, just a text message. Let me just answer that. Okay. So he says that these external these external distractions will stop you from really following the truth. Some of you just got really upset because I'm answering my phone during service and it's still ringing, right? Yes, it's good for us to turn our phone off in church, but I feel like a lot of times we set such a hard and fast rule of turn your phone off when you're in church. What about when you're with your spouse? What about when you're having family dinner? What about when you're with your kids? What about other times? This thing is the most distracting thing in my life. If the ringer's on, Every time it makes noise, I look at it. Every single time, doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm in church, I look at it. If I'm in staff meeting, I look at it. If I'm anywhere else, I'm in the doctor's office. Excuse me, doctor. What you have to say is important, but I just got a text message. Please allow me to answer that. Oh, I just got a phone call. I mean, let me go ahead and mute that now. It's a distraction. And Paul here is using the term dogs to describe these Jewish people who are trying to add extra things onto the salvation process. He uses the, the term dogs was a term that Jews used for Gentiles, and it describes something that was uh, unworthy of your time and attention, was only worthy of the garbage and the waste. And he's using such a strong term to say what you're doing is meaningless These distractions that you're allowing to take you away from the true message of Christ is pointless, is meaningless, is garbage, and needs to be done away with. The evil that these people specifically were doing was telling new Christians that they also needed to be circumcised in order to have the full salvation of Jesus. They were adding extra steps They were adding extra things. And Paul says, those are external distractions. Stay away from them. He says, don't listen to those guys. That doesn't work anymore. Sure, circumcision was the sign of the the covenant, and it was the promise in the Old Testament. But now with Jesus, all of those extra things are not required. But we have so many more external distractions. It's not just people talking to us about, what we should and shouldn't do. It's not just people telling us how we should live our life in church. It's social media. You know, how many of us have gotten into political debates on Facebook? Stop it. How many of us get so wrapped up in being able to find the perfect picture of our quiet time with Jesus and then staring at our phone every time it buzzes to see how many people liked it? Taking a picture of quiet time with Jesus is not quiet time with Jesus. Maybe put your phone on airplane mode or turn it off or leave it in the other room. Put it somewhere away from you and actually get one of these things. It's a Bible with paper. And read it. Get rid of distractions. So Paul lists three marks here, three marks of a true believer. He says, we who worship by the Spirit of God the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer makes uncircumcision or makes circumcision unnecessary, because the Holy Spirit is the sign of a true believer. We who boast in Christ Jesus, it's only because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we are made right with God. It's nothing that we do. Our joy is found in Christ, not adherence to man made rules. And the third thing of a true believer, third mark of a true believer is we who put no confidence in the flesh. I don't trust my own ability to attain righteousness. What we do for Christ is a result of our faith. It's not a prerequisite to our faith, right? So in other words, my behavior, the way I choose to live is as a result of what Jesus has already accomplished for me. I'm not trying to behave my way into right standing with God. I'm not trying to behave my way into joy and into God's righteousness. So, discipleship is important. Bible reading is important. Being a part of a local church is important. Being a part of a small group, all those things are important. But any tool or program, anything that takes away... From time spent with Jesus is a distraction. Anything that adds extra requirements on top of what the scripture has already outlined is nonsense and is a distraction and we need to get rid of it. So we have these programs and I'm so excited about what we do here at New Life. I love flow. I love EHS. But EHS is not gonna save you EHS is a tool that can help you become closer to Christ. But it does not take the place of just time spent with Jesus. You know what people did in in the early church? They didn't have a discipleship program. Before all these discipleship programs, people opened the Bible, trusted that this was the Lord's Word, and He would speak to them, and the Holy Spirit discipled us. You can still do that today. I'm not a big fan of the, okay, God, what are you going to say? First thing I see, this city must be punished. It is filled with oppression. I, I did not plan that. I promise you. Jeremiah 6. What happens if you get a verse like that? You're like, oh, my gosh. The Holy Spirit can disciple you. So Paul sees external distractions. He also lists internal distractions. And he sort of offers a challenge to anybody who thinks that they've done everything right. And he's like, if you, if you have the right to boast about your righteousness, I have more of a right. And so his list is circumcised on the eighth day. This was in accordance to Jewish law and Jewish custom, right? Uh, of the people of Israel, Paul could trace his lineage directly back to Abraham. So he knew that he was an heir of the covenant. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Israel's first king came from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of two tribes that stayed loyal to the throne of David after Israel split. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In this time, a lot of uh, the Hebrews were embracing Greek culture. And Paul's saying, I'm not doing that. I'm proud of my Hebrew heritage, and I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I have not compromised who I am. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Paul was one of the elite. Paul was one of the Pharisees that quit their jobs and devoted their entire life to following every minute detail. All 613 laws in the Old Testament, they pledged their lives to keeping everything. As for zeal persecuting the church, Paul fought to keep Judaism intact. He did not like Christians. He was dragging them out of their homes and seeing them persecuted. When Stephen was stoned, Paul was standing there approving of what was happening. He was zealous. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul was blameless in the sight of his peers. Blameless in the sight of his peers. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They make the outside look great, but they're rotting and decaying inside. And they're following man-made rules to try to make everybody think that everything is going perfectly in their life. But under the surface, there's a lot of stuff brewing. And I think there's a lot of that that goes on in church today. We try to do what everybody thinks they want to see, what we think everybody wants to see so that they can't really see the pain and hurt that's going on inside. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to follow these man-made rules. We don't have to follow these things. And Paul says, if anybody has a right to lay claim to pleasing God by their actions, it's me. I've done everything right. I haven't made any mistakes. Accomplishments are okay. Celebrate your achievements. Your kid makes an honor roll. You put that bumper sticker on your car. You put that drawing on your fridge and leave it there forever. You do those things. When you get a raise, celebrate it. When God has blessed you financially and you're able to purchase a home, celebrate that. Celebrate your achievements, celebrate your accomplishments, but be careful because those same things can become distractions. And you can start playing the game of I need more, I need more, I need more than him, I need to be better than her, I need to do this, our family needs to be seen, we need to make sure that everybody knows that we're good people. Trying so hard to be the best in everything can stop you sometimes from just being who you were created to be. Be who God has created you to be. Don't try to be better than your neighbor. Don't measure yourself against other Christians. We mark our successes sometimes by the perceived failures of others. And we mark our failures by the perceived successes of others. Well, they have what I want, so if I haven't achieved it yet, I must be a failure. Or I have what they don't have, so they're a failure and I'm more successful than them. It doesn't work that way. Find joy in knowing Christ and let Him lead you down the unique path that He has tailor made for you. And you will find a joy that will sustain you for your entire life. Distractions are going to do nothing but steal your joy, lead you to a dull and boring, complicated life where you're just sitting and warming a pew, complaining that you don't like the lights or the sound or the music. And it's not fun. So Paul recognized distractions and then he defines true worth and value. And here Paul brings out his financial ledger and he starts listing things in the gains and losses column. What might that look like for you? What is of most importance in your life? And what can you do without? How would you list those things? How would you list your assets? How would you list your gains? How would you list those things that you need, that you value. And what would you say doesn't really matter that much? What would you put in the gains column? What would you put in the losses column? Paul says, if I can have Jesus, if I can be found in him, everything can be counted as a loss. Everything that I once found as valuable and true and, and noteworthy can be counted as a loss if I can just be found in Christ. Even more, he says, he counts it all as rubbish. Garbage, your Bible might say. You're reading the King James Bible, it might say dung. The, only, the, the truest way to, to uh, translate that word is English is a four-letter word that I'm not going to say because I won't have a job. But it's human waste. It's Dung. That's what Paul says. Count it all as dung. What does dung go in? It goes in a toilet. It says you can take everything and count it all as the stuff that goes in here and gets flushed into the sewer. That's what it means to me compared to knowing Christ. Everything is a big smelly pile of human waste. What is important to you? that the Lord might be asking you to give up. Here, let's get a quick one. This. But I'm still connected, because I have a smartwatch. <laughs> so, I could be sneaky. Oh, I'm, my phone's in the other room. What needs to go? Is your money of most importance to you? Throw it. Count it as a loss. How about entertainment? You guys like doing things. Disneyland Passport more, more money. Accomplishments. Achievements. The thing in my wallet that is of most value to me is this little laminated card that says, I am an ordained four-square pastor. Sometimes this makes me very prideful. This is, this to me was the culmination of, Of the call that I knew God had on my life and that so many people tried to stop me from achieving but once I got it I got prideful but you know what the Lord is teaching me is this doesn't qualify me to do what I'm doing it qualifies me in the eyes of man it might qualify me in your eyes you might say if you're not pastor Mike I don't want to listen to what you say uh, if you're just if you just regular, Mike, then I'll run it through one of our pastors to make sure that your message was theologically sound. But what the Lord is teaching me is this does not define me. His call on my life defines me. And so I can say I, I don't need that. It's fun for tax purposes, but it doesn't define who I am. And if I can just know Christ, you can have it. You can have the rest of the wallet. I was so happy when I was able to buy my first car, but if I can just know Christ, have the car. I'm gonna keep the chapstick, because my lips are chapped. (laughs) I think Jesus is okay with that. But he says, if I can just be found in Christ, take everything else, count it all as dung, Flush it down the toilet because it is of no use to me anymore. That is powerful. And then Paul provides a vision statement for his life. Have you ever read a scripture and something just jumps out at you and you're like, oh my gosh. That is such a powerful statement. I read Paul's words here, and he says, I want to know Christ. Again, Paul is at the end of his life, and he says, I want to know Christ. If I can think of anybody living during that time who knew Christ, it was Paul. Called by God to be a missionary to the Gentiles, Writing most of the books in the New Testament. And this is the guy that's saying, I want to know Christ. Sure, that was the desire of all of our hearts that are followers of Jesus at that moment of salvation. But is that still the cry of your heart today? Do you wake up in the morning and say, I want to know Christ? Did you come to church this morning and say, I want to know Christ? Or do we wake up excited to put on that new outfit and come and show people how good we look? I want to know Christ. I don't want to know Jesus' historical life. I don't want to just be able to answer a question about him when somebody calls upon me so I can seem like I'm smart. I don't want to take from my Sunday school knowledge that I learned when I was a child, and I I haven't really grown since then, but Jesus is still the answer to most things. I don't want to just know the answer to a question. I don't want to know about the parables that he spoke. I don't want to just know the story of Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know Christ personally. Remember the movie Elf, when they said Santa's coming, and he goes, Santa! Santa! I know him. I want to be that excited about Jesus. I want to know Jesus personally. You know you can. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, you can know Jesus. Jesus. And the Jesus that speaks into my life in certain situations can be speaking into your life about something else. We don't have to have this cookie-cutter Jesus that's the same for everybody. I want to know Christ. Christ is Paul's life statement. Take everything, throw it away. I want to know Christ. I want to recognize him. I want to know what he does. I don't want to wait to sing when you walk into the room because I know him and I know he's already here with me. I want to speak with him. I want to have communion with him. I want to know the sound of his voice. I want to know Christ, so that when I'm going through uh, situations that I don't want to be in, I know that he is with me. I know that he leads me to still waters. I know that he causes me to lie down in green pastures. I know that he is gonna comfort me. I know that he's gonna strengthen me. I want to know him so that, like Pastor Ken said, when I'm in those situations, I can endure and be content in knowing Christ. You guys with me? But more than that, I want to experience the power of his resurrection, not just the power to save me. Think about it. The Holy Spirit power raised Jesus from the dead, that power as followers of Christ is in us. I want to know what that means. I want to know that it, that, that it means that I'm not just going to stay in my salvation experience, but there's so much more available to me that the resurrection power of Christ is a part of who I am. I can call upon him in situations and find joy and find strength. I want my understanding of the resurrection of Christ to mature to a point where I'm not using God as a wishing well, saying, Lord, here's here's my time, here's my money, here's these things, give me what I need where I can walk with Christ knowing that he's with me in every single situation, regardless of what's happening, regardless of how happy I might feel. I know that the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of of knowing his resurrection power transcends my emotional state. I want to completely die to sin. I want that resurrection power to totally transform my life. Not just the parts that I'm okay with transforming. Even more, I want the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. It's a hard one. I want to I, I meditate on the sufferings of Christ. But more than that, I want to be willing to stand up, to take up my cross, and to suffer for his sake. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be scared of going through things for Jesus' sake because I know that those moments of suffering create opportunities for me to have intimacy with the Lord. Jesus on his knees in the garden sweating blood saying, Lord, I don't want to do this but if it's what you want, I will. And Hebrews tell us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus' sacrificial death allowed us to be closer and allowed him to be closer to the Lord. I don't want to be afraid of being the only Christian in the room. I don't want to be afraid of standing up for what I know is right, for his sake, for the sake of righteousness. I want to be willing. I know I'm not 100% there, but I want to be. I want to fellowship in his sufferings. I don't want to walk away from those things because I'm afraid of how it's going to make me feel. I want to fully understand what it's like. I want to become like him in his death so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm looking forward to the day when I am going to be with Jesus. But that doesn't mean I can't live as a citizen of heaven now. I want to embrace it. I want to live with this joy. I want to live with this contentment. I want to know Christ. I want to step into the fullness of what He has for me now. I don't want to wait. Chase Him, pursue Him. fun the stakes don't have to be so high on everything Jesus says I'm paraphrasing those who will inherit the kingdom of God need to become like little children our children's director in Harbor City Rochelle Roy she has two little girls and they're just the cutest girls. And they just run around and play and they're having fun and you ask Selah about Jesus and she will tell you about Jesus. But as they get older, we start imposing rules and regulations. You can't go here. If you do, we're gonna talk to you about it. And we suck the fun out of being a Christian. You can love Jesus And if you mess up sometimes, Jesus is big enough to handle your mess up. I want to know Christ without having to worry about what somebody else is gonna say about my relationship with him. Without having to worry about how I'm going to be looked at or viewed based on the things that I do. I want to know Christ for my sake and I want him to use me to make his name known to everybody I come in contact with. Knowing Christ is the only source of sustainable joy. It's the only thing that will last. Everything else that brings you joy is going to let you down. Even relationships. I love my wife to death. We were having a baby girl in May. But I know that that relationship is going to let me down eventually. I know my relationship with my wife cannot sustain my joy for the rest of my life. Only Christ can. I just want to know Him. Revisit those fundamentals. Get back to your first love. Remember what it was like. Recognize distractions. What are the things that you've placed in your life that take you away from spending time with him? What are the things that that you do, the achievements that you try to achieve, the things that you want so badly that you're willing to sacrifice your time with the Lord to chase after your own desires? There's power in seeking the kingdom of God first and letting him provide everything else to you. There is so much power in that. What if we trusted Jesus to say, God, here's my life. Here's my relationships. Here's my job. Here's where I live. Here's what I drive. What needs to go away? What do I need to say no to? Okay, Lord, if you want me to say no, I need to stop working so much. If I work, if I stop working so much, I'm going to have less money. I'm not going to be able to do as many things. What if we trusted God that He knows how to make our life work? What if we could just give it to Him and say, Lord, what's a distraction? And once we find out those distractions, what if we defined what was truly worthy of our time, took everything else, and said it doesn't matter. If it needs to go, it needs to go. What if I developed a statement for my life and said, I want to know Christ. I want to fellowship in his sufferings. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to become like him in his death. Becoming a citizen of heaven. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You can know Jesus. And you can know him as much as you want. The relationship can be as deep as you want it to be. i think the problem in our society today is we don't have room for something else we have room for a little bit of jesus we have room for jesus on sunday we have room for jesus during life groups we have room for jesus when we pray before we eat but a lot of us don't have room to come and invite jesus to permeate every single aspect of our lives And I feel the Lord is saying this morning, Will you, are you willing to surrender to me? Are you willing to surrender your plans, your goals, your visions, your aspirations? Are you willing to give those things to me? Are you willing to make room for him in your life? Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.